Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hey, y'all. Welcome back to a Wednesday, August 2nd, 2023 edition here on the Chase Thomas Podcast. Oh, yeah. Wednesday. That means full ride college football show here on the Chase Thomas Podcast Network. Oh, yeah. College football on this very show each and every Wednesday with fellow University of North Georgia alumni, Matt Green, to talk about all things college football. This week, we continue our preview series, this time with the Pac-12 and a lot of agreements. Like We're pretty much on the same page uh, here when it comes to the Pac-12 and that hierarchy with Oregon State, Oregon, um, Utah, and Washington and USC. And we'll see just kind of where we're at with those, but maybe that kind of differs from where a lot of folks are nationally. But spoiler alert, we're pretty high in the beeves coming into the 2023 season with DJU and company. Um, but also talk about Pac-12, more conference realignment, what the future looks like for Pac-12 as a whole, uh, Colorado moving to Big 12, uh, some interesting nuggets and stats on year three college football coaches and how that pertains to Tennessee's Josh Heupel. For all my Tennessee folks listening to this edition of the program, um, also we do a deep dive into the Pac-12 and Utah, Colorado, Oregon, Oregon State, Stanford, UCLA, USC, the Cougs, and more. All that coming up next. Hey, y'all. Thanks for checking out the Chase Homes podcast. If you are not already a subscriber and this is your first time listening, welcome to the show. Appreciate you guys checking out uh, what we've got cooking here on the program. Um, if you enjoy what you hear today, please make sure you hit that subscribe button on your preferred podcast player. New episode, new content every single day. Tennessee Vols, Atlanta sports guys, sports reporters assemble, NFL, NBA, college football, all that and more right here on this feed each and every day. Your favorite writers, analysts, personalities in the space on this very feed every day. So if you like that, you like the best national sports talk with a local flavor outside of here in Knoxville, Tennessee, then this is the show for you. So make sure you're locked in on your preferred podcast player. And if you're already a subscriber, you know what I'm about to say. But if you could, please leave this show a five-star rating and write a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or however you're listening. I promise you it helps this show continue to grow, helps other people find the show, and all that good stuff. So if you could take a second today and you're already a fan, you love the show, tell a friend, family member, coworker, whoever about the Chase Homes Podcast as we get bigger and bigger each and every day 
here in Tennessee, I would greatly appreciate it. Five-star review or five-star rating. Write a review. I promise it helps in a major way. Takes a second. Hit that pause button. Take care of its day. And uh, yeah, we greatly appreciate it. Chase Thomas podcast. The Chase Thomas podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate. I already hate it. I hate it. All right, hello, and welcome back to another episode of the Chase Thomas podcast, where I'm still the aforementioned Chase Thomas coming to you live from Knoxville, Tennessee. Everything School HQ. Fall camp season is upon us matt green coming down tomorrow the good folks listen to this on their morning commute here on a wednesday uh guess what you're gonna be rolling in and you just fire up youtube whatever you're gonna see your favorite team potentially war doing warm-ups doing actual fall camp things doing drills um your five star that you have waited for months to see he's gonna be out on the field on the practice field doing stuff and i am going to watch every second of fall camp videos as limited as they are fall camp is here and this weekend especially was difficult where it's like man there is nothing on there is nothing we are in the doldrums i watched the braves and that was cool but like you need something else you need football you need basketball you need whatever but like i am i'm officially in getting antsy season and i am very very glad that fall camp is here because i can um, just obsess over uh, position battles and everything else that are going to take place over the next two to three weeks here because it's going to be an absolute delight. And not to mention, 6'8", 4 star top five offensive tackle in the 2024 class, Bennett Warren picking the Vols over Michigan and Texas A&M to solidify the Vols' left tackle spot going forward. Many are saying, oh, what about the trenches? I don't know about Josh Heupel and the, <laughs> and the trenches. If only Josh Heupel would land someone in the trenches. How about a 6-8-3-30 four-star out of the great state of Texas? Fellow University of North Georgia, Matt Green is here. Alumni Matt Green is here. Matt, good evening. How are you? Good evening, sir. I, I like that little jab you threw in there. And I think Hey, this is what they got to do. They got to start to get those uh, big time players on the offensive line and the defensive line. Can't stress the defensive side of the football enough, mm. but you know, it's a process. Uh, Heupel's definitely got Tennessee going in the right direction, but uh, you're definitely right about uh, sports these days. Like the Braves are really just carrying mm -hmm. any sports interests I have these days. I was watching ESPN. I had pickleball, I think on ESPN and slam ball on ESPN too. It's like they're struggling to find anything to put on. It's uh yeah no it's it's a struggle. Um also before we even do our uh, how many days until college football, Matt Green? Because whew, it's gonna make me happy when you say this number. It's gonna make me happy. How many days until college? Well, football? this and 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 to tell everyone there is college football. There's some out there. There's a th some Thursdays, some week zero stuff. But like this is till the actual first Saturday when everyone's in action. Week mm -hmm. one. We got 31 days, sir. 31 days till college football season. It is uh, right around the corner, basically right at one month. Um, best 31 of all time for my money. Well, let's see. Let's just put this in a trivia question. He's one of two players to ever win the Chuck Bednarik Award twice. At Georgia? You, no, no, not, not, not uh. at Georgia. But best 31 of all time in college football. Best 31. Do you know the two guys that have won the Ben Eric Award twice? Don't be Googling it over there, though. I what see makes you, you say I'm Googling computer. it? 
I see you on your computer over there. I was going to tell you the answer. I have no idea. Uh, the first, the first I was also two just awards, Googling number 31s in college football. Uh, see Pat Fitzgerald won, um, hmm. won the first two Chuck Bednarik Awards, but the only other two-time winner, uh, Paul Puslesny of oh. Penn State. That's the best 31 of all time for my... For my money. For Georgia, I'm thinking... Hold on. Paul, Lez- Paul Puzlesny, the best 31 of all time? Puzlesny was a baller at Penn State, man. He's a linebacker. Two-time Ben Eric winner. I mean, 31's a linebacker, running back type of number. Yeah, he's he's a linebacker, man. Who's you better? You got to give me one that's better. Jamal Lewis. I mean, Jamal Lewis was good, but was he an All-American at, at Tennessee? He was a good player. Puzlesny was a... He won a national title. Second team all SEC in 1999, SEC freshman of the year in 97. But what is Puslesny like a three-time All-American? He ran for like... 1,300 yards his first year at Tennessee in 97. And he dealt with some injuries his, and stuff like that. But His freshman know. year was his best year. Yeah, he had some uh, injuries. Uh, that, that was definitely the best 31 I was thinking for uh, mm. for Tennessee. Uh, 31, it wasn't a strong one. Disrespect anybody out there. I think Tyson Browning, like, I kind of dig a little deep for Tyson Browning. I mean, Georgia fans remember Tyson Browning. The uh, 2003 LSU game in Death Valley caught, like, a 90-yard screen pass in the fourth quarter to tie the game. But, um, yeah, then Skyler Green, we, Georgia fans don't need to get into what, how, how that 2003 LSU game ended. Oh, I couldn't tell you. That was a long time ago. That was 20 years ago. That was uh, Saban's first national title, uh, 2003 LSU. They they beat Georgia. It was like 17-10, I think, through like a... Was that a Shockley t- year? No, nah, that's David Green. Odell mm. Thurman actually rocked the uh, the court. I think, was that Matt Mock? Matty Mock? Uh, not Matty Mock, but Matt Mock for LSU. Mm. Um, I want to say that. I could be confusing it, but yeah, they threw like a touchdown with like a minute left. Like... Uh, mm. And uh, that's how they won. And then, Georgia, then they, I think, beat Georgia pretty bad in the SEC Championship uh, the second time they played that year, too. Happier times yeah, for everyone. Yeah, what can you do? Happier times for everyone involved. I saw, like, the someone posted the, the, the Georgia coaches, like, lying face down after the prayer in Jordan Hare from a couple of years ago. And I forgot the context, but I saw it. And I'm like, do I print it out? Do I save it? Do I, is it, do I, do I keep this handy just in case for this fall? And Neilan, do I keep it handy? Could we recreate that moment this fall? Hey, hey, who knows, man? They uh, mm. they can't be uh, flexing with Auburn's uh, uh, moment, though. You know, that's like these teams that have the college football playoff trophies in their in their commitment edits, and they've never won a college football playoff. It's like you can't just be you can't just be flexing someone else's uh, accomplishments. Would you, as a Georgia fan, would you? dislike it more if tennessee just blew you out like it was like just got away from you and they just it the game just turned into a, a nightmare and it's like 37 10 or whatever or would you rather lose the way alabama lost at tennessee i'm not saying tennessee's going in this game i mean but as a definitely fan, rather lose the way alabama lost because i mean you? alabama fans even have like that that pass interference mm. there at the end to to look back on like because i mean that was a little questionable like i I don't think it was like a bad call, but it was an interception that Alabama had and returned it to midfield, you know? So there was it wasn't like a bad st- call. It was just late. It was just weird because it's yeah. yeah. So if I'm an Alabama fan, I feel like we got hosed, you know, I'm sure that's yeah. what they think. So in terms of just getting absolutely run out of the building, like you can still go home and be like, 
we were the better team, but whatever happened and we lost, like getting run out of the building is like, oh, wow, is Tennessee on our level now? Like that's got to make you think, you know? So I think anyone would rather lose. What was it 51, 48? Mm. Was that, was, was that the final score? Uh, I believe so. Cause it's, yeah. yeah I mean, and, that, and that's obviously like a way more fun 48. game. I, I've, <laughs> I experienced, uh, I want to say, what was it? 2007 LSU or Georgia, Tennessee of just getting run out of the building and it's... 5249. I was like, it didn't sound right. I was looking at that. I was like, I feel like it was 50. Yeah, 5249. That was it. Yeah. So yeah. I think who would rather who would rather get blown out than lose? Well, a if you get blown out, you could game. just say it wasn't our day. It was just a dumb like they got, and then Tennessee, Georgia quit, or Georgia was like, yeah, we're done. We're 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 pulling back here. Like this game got away from us. Who cares? We we flush it. It's hard to flush the games where you're like you're in it until the very end, and then you lose in a gut wrenching fashion. I don't know. I, I see. Feel... I feel like you at least played well. It's like you could feel like, oh, you know, everything came together for them this year, and so they beat us by three. Well, see, like I would rather not. I would rather lose to Georgia in Neyland by getting blown out in the second half than lose on like a last second Georgia Carson Beck bomb in Neyland. Like I would rather lose. See, in... I don't. I I don't know. I just obviously the like the josh dobbs the hail mary like mm. that sucks but for someone to just come in like say when was the last time georgia got like, like i guess alabama um 2015 someone just come into your into your home stadium and your crowds packing it in in the third and fourth quarter like emptying out the stadium like no there's nothing worse than a team dominating you on your own field mm. matt green um one, uh, we have a couple of news items here to get to from Nigel the Nighthawk over there at, at the University of North Georgia before we move into our Pac-12 preview, whatever is left of the Pac-12. Our final Pac-12 preview maybe ever on uh, this very program. But speaking of the Pac-12, Colorado, since we last recorded, um, made the jump to the Big 12. Um, Arizona, I believe, is meeting tonight um, to discuss their future because the Pac-12 presented their proposed or whatever is a possible uh, TV deal. And it seems like it's going to be streaming, if anything, with a little bit of ESPN. So um, we wondered for a while if it was going to go full streaming. I think it's probably smart to have some streaming as an option, like you get ahead there, but like to just do what the Pac-12 and is headed towards Matt Green. I mean, what are your thoughts on Colorado bolstering uh, the Big 12, as they are now at 13 teams once uh, Texas and Oklahoma leave this offseason. And does Arizona make the most sense to you as that final 14 team as they reconsolidate and build a pretty strong, at least, conference? Like, obviously not the same as the SEC and Big 10, but still a very strong conference from top to bottom, especially in basketball. But uh, what do you make of all of it right now? specifically Colorado going to the Big 12. I'm all for it, but that's because I grew up with Colorado in the Big 12. I wish they'd bring Nebraska back to the Big 12 too uh, while we're at it. Well, but... Nebraska should really consider. I mean, the money is just why. Like, that's it. It's like when people are like, why doesn't Maryland go back? Or why doesn't um, uh, Nebraska go back? It's like, it's the money. Like, yeah, they but could win. It's also like Nebraska, Oklahoma was such a big thing too. So yeah. it's like Nebraska, if they come back, they're not even really coming back to the same Big 12 either. So... Um, but I'm, this is just kind of a bummer to me, man. I feel like the Pac-12 is, I think, over the last decade or so, clearly been the weakest of the Power Five conferences. Like, I think people talk about it like it's, um, 
like it's some TV deal, like marketing or whatever. Like that's why they haven't been in the playoff. This fourteen play, like as if like if there was just a one loss Pac twelve champion, one loss or better Pac twelve champion, they'd be in the playoff every year. Like there's nothing inherently like keeping the Pac twelve out. Like Washington got in, Oregon got in. If you just if you're just a one loss or better conference champion the the playoff wants to put in all these conference champions like that's the cleanest way to do it so it's just they've had a lot of two and three lost conference champions and you're not going to get any playoff access uh in in the four team format uh, unfortunately for them but i i feel like we still need a conference on the west coast like there's a reason all these conferences are broken down regionally and obviously ucla and usc that's a done deal like they're already they're already going but it's just it's a bummer because there was a reason we put all of these conference, the, all these teams out here together to, to begin with. So I would be more down if the Pac-12 was absorbing more of these Big 12 schools and like like creating one giant like west of the Mississippi type of conference. You know what I mean? Because there aren't as many schools, so quantity would quantity it would be kind of quantity over quality. You know, but I don't know. I. I I guess this is the, the writing on the wall basically for the Pac-12 and we've seen all the TV contract uh, negotiations and just how terrible of a deal the Pac-12 seems to be getting. Like it's only a matter of time, I guess, until they just get picked off one by one. Um, one thing I want to throw out there to you, when, you, when someone says the four corner schools, do you automatically know what that means? Yes. A buddy of mine, not putting him on blast or anything because it wasn't even a dumb thing to say. He was like the whole time he people said the four corner schools in the Pac-12. He thought they were talking about Washington, Washington State, Oregon, and Oregon State because they're the four that are up in the quarter. And I was like, that's that's hilarious. Like I I, I couldn't even hate on that because it's like I know I, I I see the logic right there. But um, but couldn't he yeah, also do the corners? Like it didn't say northwest corners. Like it could have been the southwest corners. Like but have- it is like I feel like the state of what it specifically makes like a corner, like the Northwest United States, you know, it's like kind of you're a good cor- more than, you're being nice more than the, more than the East coast does, you know, there's like a lack legit, like corner in the state of Washington. So I don't know. It's just a funny thing to say, but in terms of like, I and guess the good what's going to ha- counting at home, by the way, it's Arizona, Arizona state, Colorado, and Utah. Those are the yes, four yes. Schools, yes. And those, um, and if they're like the master plan, like you've said a bunch is for the big 12 to be the premier basketball conference, mm-hmm. like Arizona definitely fits that. But if you're getting Arizona and Colorado, like, you know, might as well bring Arizona state and, uh, and Utah with them, get Utah BYU playing. I mean, Utah BYU have been playing every year without even being in the same conference. So I guess the conference affiliation doesn't necessarily matter for that rivalry. But um, yeah, well, I, that's I, another I, point I of this is like, next. there's so many levels of petty and interesting things here where it's like, it's just always moving. And I don't want to go too down this rabbit hole because it's going to be, you could throw this out the window tomorrow based on what might happen. So I don't want this to be outdated in that regard. But like, I just look at it where you see the report utah like they make sense for the big 12 guess what they don't want to follow be seen as following byu into the big 12 mm. so it's like they might not do that just to for optics and then you have arizona states like hey guess what they have the same board of regents or whatever northern arizona arizona state and arizona are kind of 
grouped together. So it's like if Arizona leaves and leaves Arizona State behind, how are their people going to deal with that? Because it should like it theoretically should be a package deal. So when Arizona looks like they're heading to the Big 12, is that mean the Big 12 is going to take Arizona State too? And then Utah and then you're good at the 16 number and then you stick. But then what does Washington and Oregon do? Oregon's too big to just like be left behind in the remains of the Pac-12. Like I understand where that point of emphasis of like, hey, Oregon and Washington look at this whole situation and they're like, we're good with the Pac-12 because we have easy access to the playoff every year now. Like with UCLA and USC gone, guess who's going to the to the college football playoff every year? Like that's us. Like we're in dry, just prime position for that. And I understand that. And then you look at USC and UCLA, that story this week where um, the great reporter Nicole uh, Auerbach at The Athletic uh, did a deep dive into how travel is going to work for um, UCLA and USC and the Big Ten. Uh, spoiler alert, it's a mess and going to be a disaster. This You read this whole thing and you're like, oh, this isn't lasting. And if it does last, guess who's getting cut? All these Olympic sports, all these other sports, like you're just going like, to, you're having people join up, like different schools riding to get, like you read the, uh, the, the story here and you're like, this is insanity. Like this only makes sense for football and they're making these decisions that affect every sport and everything else. So I'm like, they're not just going to run with the USC and UCLA and the big 10 for years and years. Like they're not going to have just two isolated West coast schools. So like, I still, I, I don't believe where it's like the big Ten's not interested in Oregon and Washington. I'm like, they're not yet, but if the Pac-12 gets picked apart here over the next couple of days, they're going to be spelling blood in the water. What I ultimately hope is they don't go to the back, the big 10. And I hope, the monopoly, the 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 fear of the monopoly type deal of the conference, the antitrust stuff of these super conferences that I think Greg Sankey has talked about, where it's like that's part of you're getting into dangerous territory when you get over 16 uh, conference members and what that means um, for. I, I'm just I'm not well versed enough in that, but it does seem like that's something that scares them. And then you're like, OK, the best case scenario is the Pac-12, the remains join up with the ACC because regionality doesn't matter anymore. But at least you could divide it up where you have the Atlantic Coast part and the Pac-12 part. And then you meet up in the championship game. And that's still a really good conference. That has Clemson. That has Oregon. That has Washington. That has Florida State. Like, it sounds weird and insane for us who grew up in just regionality and what college football was. But, like, I think that's a better scenario than being down to, like, three conferences and two, a power two and then just one kind of power 2.5 type deal. Like... I would prefer that, but it requires a lot of people to moving parts. And this continues to be such a mess because everyone is looking out for their own best interest, the alliance, everything else. You can never get the everybody alliance. on the same page. Like it always just, you never look, oh, Colorado, I was blindsided. They, they were going to wait for the, the well, numbers to come in and then they don't and they're out. They're like, no, nah, we, we waited too long. We're, we're going to jump out of here. And you're and like, to be, what fair, is <laughs> to be fair, losing Colorado... That doesn't necessarily just destroy the conference, right? Yeah. Like Colorado's not like the huge, the biggest brand ever. Obviously, UNC. U I think San Diego State might be an upgrade. U UC USC and UCLA are huge to lose, but yeah, I mean, I feel like that would be my preference if we can somehow keep this Power Five, and maybe they all go to sixteen, and maybe we get mm. San Diego State and Fresno and Boise State, and just try it. Colorado State. Maybe they maybe they mm. want to go to the Pac-12, like. Just in, whoever's really wanting to play the big boy game, like now we have, what is five times 16? Quick math. Uh, what is that, 64? So, yeah, six, 60, 64. I think I did that quick. Yeah. Um, it's like if we, and then we got 64 teams that are playing legitimate Division One football. 
Like, I'd be cool with that. You know, mm-hmm. Notre Dame figures out where they want to go in the Big Ten or the ACC or whatever. But, like, if we just can somehow get them all up to 16 instead of, like, the, it's, I don't think Notre it's a Dame good thing. Notre Dame could end a lot of this by just joining the ACC. Like, if they were, yeah. like, we're stabilizing the ACC and we're joining up, you're like, oh, cool, okay, then this thing might settle down for a little bit. That would make uh, Florida get, State and Get Clemson West have- Virginia and, and Notre Dame in the ACC yeah. or they – in the ACC where they belong. Obviously, Notre Dame belongs in the Big Ten. But I just I think it's not good for the sport if the entire Pac-12 just gets poached yeah. and every conference just has, not every conference, but multiple conferences just have some little West Coast branch of their of the Big Ten and of the ACC. I just don't think that's a, a legitimate option. No, I don't think so. But we'll see what happens because I'm sure uh, tomorrow uh, it's going to be more craziness and we'll find out what Arizona's fate is in the Pac-12 um, sometime this week, potentially. So there you go. Uh, Matt Green, you have a, a big year three topic that you want to you wanna embark on here before we get into our Pac-12 preview. Yes, sir. I was uh, I was crunching some numbers because I was uh, I was talking with my brother the other day, and I'm, I was I was saying I'm I'm all about the year two head coach. I think I've, I'm a broken record here with how the guys do in year two. I just there's a there's a huge there's a big spike with a lot of head coaches, a lot of really good head coaches in year two. But what about year three? Well, what happens in year three after we get this spike? All right, so I have. 13 head coaches. I don't know if it's every coach, but I think it's every every noteworthy coach I could I could come up with. Um 13 head coaches since like 2000 that have increased the win total from year 1 to year 2 by at least 4 games and won double digit games that season. All all but Sam Pittman, I guess won double digit games here in year two. So I'm going to run because we talk about these year two head coaches a lot. And I, I think it, it blows your mind of how many there really are that just take off in year two. Bob Stoops, 13 and 0, won a national championship. Jim Tressel, 14 and 0, won a national championship. Mark Richt, 13 and 1, won the SEC, finished ranked third. Urban Meyer, 13 and 1, won a national championship. Gene Chizik, 14 and 0, won a national championship. Will Muschamp, 11 and 2, I think finished top three, top four that year, top five. Kirby Smart, 13 and 2, uh, lost in the national championship. Dan Mullen, 9 and 4, year two at Mississippi State. Uh, Mel Tucker, 11 and 2, uh, year two at Michigan. Sam Pittman, 9 and 4. Lane Kiffin at Ole Miss, 10 and 3, year two. All of those head coaches won more than four, four or more games than they did the previous year. We got Josh Heupel down here currently in year three. He did the same thing. Josh Heupel, Tennessee just went from seven and six to 11 and two from year one to year two. The only two head coaches of the last like 20 years that have, that have won more games in year three than they did in year two were Nick Saban in year three at Alabama and they won a national championship and Pete Carroll at USC, year three at USC. Of all the coaches that had that actual year two spike, because there's some coaches that like don't fit this qualification. Like you look at a a Dan Mullen at Florida or like a Chip Kelly at uh, Oregon or LSU, Saban at LSU. A lot of those guys had solid year ones that went into a, a good year two. Of the guys that actually had just the mediocre year one and then took off in year two, on, they on average all all even including the two Saban and Pete Carroll all these guys averaged to 
two and a half less wins in year three. Which so I thought that was a really interesting stat. So you got Josh Heupel here at eleven and two, two and a half wins. Are they an eight and are they an eight win team, nine win team in in twenty twenty three? It was just interesting how many of these coaches. Uh, like, where do you sit on Josh Heupel in year three? Uh, I've said nine and three for a while. Um, my gut says nine and three. Um, I think the over under is nine and a half, right? I think. Uh, I think that is right. Yeah, I tend to go under. I mean, here's the thing with Heupel in this year. What will ultimately decide, like the Florida game in early, will tell me if they hit the over. Like if they win at Florida then they're probably going to take care of, they're going to be rolling. They get UTSA at home right after, and then they get South Carolina and they'll win both. And then you're really cooking. Then it's like, I still think right now I would lean towards them losing both Bama and Georgia this year. And then I think they'll be favored in every other game. So 10 and two is probably realistic, but I just don't see that. My gut tells me they lose the two big ones and then they either drop to A&M at home at Florida still strikes me like until they do it it's been 20 years like i just i can't get there um so we'll see what happens mizzou kentucky all those games they don't worry me this feels like a nine and four type year where they go nine and uh or maybe ten and ten and three where they go nine and three in the regular season and win their bowl game or they lose their bowl game because they play a big team or injuries whatever but like that's kind of where i'm at and this is kind of 2024 and 2025 are the they could win a national title they'll be in the blue chip ratio they'll have nico they'll have talent a lot more talent and a lot of these four and five stars that have been in the program for two years at that point they'll be more ready to go more depth i i just can't shake the feeling that this is kind of a gap year and it kind of speaks to what you're saying about year three and that kind of slight step back for a lot of these coaches so i do think they actually win less and that i would probably go with nine being the case and most tennessee fans by the way feel that feel that way that this feels like a nine or 10 win team 10 at the most and it's amazing and i think there's something to it maybe there's some you know just typically some some of that senior junior senior leadership is is on board for year two and then you lose some of those guys and you kind of have to bring in some <clears throat> some new faces in year three but mm. it's it's kind of amazing how many guys there there are like obviously like uh, bob stoops and jim trestle they followed it up like 11 and 2 12 and 2 seasons like Mark, uh, Georgia with Mark Rick, they went 11 and three the year after urban after the 13 and one national championship in between two national title teams had a nine and four team like that. They just, I think honestly, 2007 Florida is probably one of the best nine and four teams in like the history of college football, like a Heisman trophy winning Tim Tebow and everything. But you also got like guys like Gene Chizik went mm. from 14 and zero to eight and five, like Will Muschamp went from 11, went from seven and six to 11 and two to four and eight. It's like you just, you never know what you're going to get. Kirby Smart, 13 and 2 to 11 and 3. Like, we, we talk about Dan Mullen and Josh Heupel a lot. Year two, Dan Mullen went from 5 and 7 in year one at Mississippi State to 9 and 4 to 7 and 6. So, mm. does, does Heupel take that same step back? Dan Mullen also went 10 and 3 year one at Florida, followed that with an 11 and 2, and then kind of a misleading 8 and 4 because they were they did win the East and they were a better team that year, but they did actually win less games. The, the COVID year kind of throws things off, but I don't know. It's a, uh, it's interesting. I'm, I'm curious. There's a couple other guys we got in year three that did <clears throat> increase their team's wins by more than four mm. uh, games and from year one to year two, 
Lance Leopold fits this. They went from two and ten, two and ten to six and seven. Jed mm. Fish fits this. They went from one and eleven to five and seven. Um, but then there's also some guys like Sarkeesian went from five and seven to eight and five. Like he's he hasn't had that peak year yet. So mm. I don't know. We'll see. Uh, we'll see what your three holds for Josh Heupel. We shall see, Matt Green. Um, Pac-12 preview uh, is. They're a team to get things started here. Is there a team on USC's tier this year in the in the Pac-12? Because a lot of people are picking USC, Caleb Williams, back to back Heisman's question mark. Uh, the defense a little bit better. Your old friend Bear Alexander on that defensive line. And I forgot who said this, but it's something that I think about a lot. Is just I wonder if other schools look at it this way, where it's like if it's uh, like most of the time it's good to get a transfer, but like if you get a transfer from Georgia or Bama, you should actually hang up the phone. You're like, okay, if Georgia or Alabama was like, we're good, then maybe it's like a Trey Burton situation. Maybe it's like, there there might be more. Maybe we hang up. Maybe we're just like, there's a reason that the school who's be- developed defensive tackles better than anybody else um, was kind of okay with Bear Alexander <clears throat> moving on. Maybe that's like the ones like I it was I forgot who said this, but I wonder if there are coaches around college football that are like, mm, I think we're going to stay away from the Georgia Alabama transfers because if they don't stick around, if Kirby or Nick don't want them around or they can't play there or whatever it is, uh, maybe we should just take a pass on that one. I don't know. See, I don't see that at all because I think Georgia and Alabama are getting the best players around. So if a guy can't play at Georgia or Alabama, that does not mean that he can't play college football. Like I think there's, I think you're, de- I think you're definitely trying to get Georgia and Alabama's second stringers. Like, I mean, Alabama that's two years in a row now with just uh, with uh, Jermaine Burton and now Tresman Marshall, like getting, Honestly, I mean, I guess you could probably say Jermaine Burton was a starter. He, he could have been a backup potentially. I'm not really sure if he knew exactly what his position was or where he was on the depth chart. But Tresman Marshall was a clear backup for Georgia, um, and he's probably going to be starting for Alabama at inside linebacker this year. That's true. But in terms of the top and the hierarchy, I I feel like you're going to say no. There are multiple teams that are on the same tier as USC this year, right? Yeah, without a doubt. I think there is, there's definitely no hierarchy here. Like mm. Utah is over here. Anytime anyone's getting hyped up, they're just like, hold on. How many Pac-12 championships have you guys won the last two years? Like nobody, nobody's won more, uh, as many as Utah. And I think I just look at Oregon. I, I think I look at obviously Utah. I, who might, I look at Washington. I think all Oregon. of those teams, <clears throat> yeah, I think Oregon, Washington, and Utah are all right there with USC. I think those are the top four. And I think this conference is really going to be a, kind of the same thing we saw last year, like six good teams and six bad teams. Like, mm. I think I think UCLA and Oregon State are also, like, I, I think they're a tier be- below uh, those other four, but I think they're still going to be good teams next year. That's fair. I don't think there's a hierarchy either. And I think they're all very, very close. And they're all very different. Like all of them have different strengths, different weaknesses. Like UW's got just an insane amount of wide receiver talent. Um, uh, USD has the advantage at quarterback. Uh, you look at Oregon. I think the defense will be a lot better. They have a strong run. Like is, there's just different things. And Utah obviously being the most physical and defense first it's just very interesting at top and then Oregon State who was just unbelievable running the football last year and you bring in DJ Uangale like they have something to say 
Did they win? They won 10 games last year total, right? With the bowl win over Florida, did they get the 10? I believe so. Yeah, so I mean, I think it's fair to throw them in that group of like, could they do it if DJU is uh, back to his old self um, in Corvallis? Uh, the biggest unknown when you were going through the your preview here for the Pac-12 for you, who do you think is still just the biggest unknown that you cannot get a read on going into this year? Well, I mean, this is probably the easiest answer of any of the conference previews we'll ever do because the biggest unknown of any team in all of college football is Colorado. Like, mm. I mean, what do they have, 70 transfers? Like, this is just the most unprecedented thing we've ever seen. Like, a program just be completely turned over uh from year from one year to the next so i think it's it's obviously colorado and i mean everyone wants to to not to get ahead of myself but this is the team that everyone wants to watch this year like who knows what's going to happen well colorado too because like you said the transfer stuff is crazy enough they go 111 like how much worse to first could they really do in year one it's like it's all so unprecedented but like I just want to see what Shador Sanders looks like as a power five quarterback going from Jackson state. Like you have multiple important guys from USF and group of five guys. And um, then you have FCS guys. And then you also have like real um, just real dudes at Cormani McLean. Who's going to like start as a true freshman, the number one corner of this past class. Then you have the number one corner, maybe the potential Heisman type player in a year and Travis Hunter, maybe playing both ways at wide receiver and corner. Like you just have so much. I mean, Cavassier smoke, our old friend at Kentucky is like going to be their lead tailback. Like Colorado is just going to be like a dream. Just mine. F you you know what I mean? Where you just look at this and you're like, what is happening? Like Colorado is just going to be so fascinating. They bring in, the Kent State head coach is their OC. Charles Kelly, who's an elite recruiter and good defensive mind, run the D. Like, it's a good staff. Like, Dion's got a good staff. It's a bunch of turnover. And I think they're just going to be musty. Like, we get TCU, Colorado out of the gate here. Yeah. If you told me Colorado went seven and five, that wouldn't shock me. If you also told me they went two and 10, that wouldn't shock me. Like, I have no idea what to make of Colorado. Anything better than seven and five, would that shock you? Yes. Nine and nine and four or something? I think anywhere eight and above would shock me. This yeah. is a tough schedule, and that's just too much turnover. And I don't think they're there talent-wise to get that. Yeah, too. I think Shadur Sanders is what I'm most interested to see mm. because it's like, is, is this guy a legit Power 5 quarterback that was playing down because his dad was the head coach? Or is he a legit... Yeah, or is he going to be in for a rude awakening? Like, like not, not to compare him to like a Trey Lance or something, but like... Hmm. Like that's someone who was not playing the same competition as the other, you know, big time prospects. And, you know, we haven't really seen what he is in the NFL. So it's hard to say he can't play. But um, what, you're three now and you've got to see this guy on the field. So I don't know. It's uh, it's obviously not the same thing. But uh, that that's where I think if Shadur Sanders is actually a legit Pac-12 quarterback, like that kind of changes where Colorado's expectations are immediately. For sure. Best odds, when you look at the over-under for everyone in the Pac-12, Matt Green, the best odds to hit their win over or loss under? Who do you think it is? I I feel like it's got to be Utah uh, mm. at eight and a half just because this team just, they just keep chopping wood, you know? It's like they just, they don't want to hear the, they don't listen to the clipping, the news clippings, and like they're never the sexiest team. Everyone's always talking about, 
whoever's got the best quarterback, Oregon's uniforms. Oregon's always been the most exciting team out in the Pac-12 um, since USC's been down, and now USC is back, so now that's a new shiny toy. But Utah just keeps just keeps their head down and does the work. So I feel like eight and five. You get Florida in year two of a new head coach, but obviously it's at home. They got to come across the country. Like that's a that's a pretty solid big time game that you know you do get at at home. So I, I think Utah at eight and a half is a is a good bet. I like that one a lot. Um, but I also think if you're a Utah fan, you just are like, this is awesome. Like Utah thrives on stuff like this. Utah, that when everything goes astray for Kyle Whittingham, it's when they're over under like 11. When everyone starts to just give them actual respect as like the, the kings of the Pac-12 is when things go awry in, uh, in Salt Lake. Yeah. I, eight and a half. I mean, they were the, uh, I think, I believe they were the media prediction uh, to win the conference last year and they, okay. and they did get it done. So, cause I was looking at that cause I kind of thought the same thing. Like them. Oh, I bet the media is never picking Washington, mm-hmm. uh, Utah to win the, the conference, but they actually do give them the respect. Um, and they just, yeah, I think they're just the, the most solid Kyle Whittingham. Is he the most, the longest tenured coach in college football? Maybe at this point, been there since like Oh six. It's either um, him or Mike Gundy. Yeah. They're right around the same time. So, yeah. Yeah, I, I, you just know what you're getting with Utah. That's true. Um, Matt Green, the league pass team. Last week it was North Carolina on our ACC show. Who do you think is going to be the league pass just most fun to jump into any of their games all year long? Who was the number one pick for folks who are staying up late on Saturday night this fall that are like, who do I want to watch in the Pac-12 week over week? Who will always be the most entertaining? Well... There's obviously the Colorado Dion thing. Like that's, I don't know if it's a, a train wreck isn't the right word, you know, cause it's not just like you're all bad, but you're just watching cause you just want to see what's going to happen. You know, mm-hmm. it's, you're just out of curiosity, but in terms of like the team who I feel like is going to just be playing exciting games all year long, I feel like it's going to be USC because mm. We know we sorry we don't, we know they don't play defense, so it's it's like that this offense is going to be Caleb Williams is going to be doing crazy things, and they're probably going to be giving up forty on the other side, and it's just going to be must see TV every every Saturday night. I think it's Oregon State for me. They were fun last year in DJU. Like I'm so curious to see what he looks like. Jonathan Smith, one of the best offensive minds in college football. Like I think Oregon State finds themselves in crazy games a lot anyway. I think they're going to be a really fun, good watch where it's like, are they going to spoil into and find their way into the college football playoff? Like, I don't know. I think Oregon State is going to be fun no matter what, because I think they have a really fun offense. And if DJU is back to who he was predicted to be coming out of high school, that team's suddenly just a lot of fun because they're already fun running the football. And then if DJ had the the aerial element there in Corvallis, then I think they're really cooking with something. And I think they're going to be really fun to watch. Yeah, I like that. I um, I really hope we can see DJ Uyunglele look more like his 2020 self than what he's been in 2021 or 2022. All right, Matt Green. Well, let's get in to the over-unders here um, when we look at uh, this Pac-12 2023 season. Arizona, who this might be their last season in the, the Pac-12 here, um, five and a half for the Arizona Wildcats. Are you going over or under when you look at the schedule and what they're bringing back this year? 
Well, uh, I'm going to have to stay true to uh, to the research that I've done here. So the year three head coaches mm-hmm. and Jed Fish, he got a little bit of a spike, you know, went from one, ele- one and 11 to five and seven. I'm going to say he disappoints and they uh, and they do not go bowling this year. So give hmm. me uh, give me the under on uh, on Arizona. Arizona, Jed Fish is recruiting really well. He gets Elijah Rushing, who is down to, I think, either Oregon or Tennessee, and Arizona keeps him home. His brother is now on Arizona, five-star age guy. Like, he's recruiting really well, and it's actually working a lot better than I would have expected with that hire. It wasn't the most inspiring hire to me um, when they made it, and he's been all over the place. And, I mean, he was with Chip Kelly at UC- U, uh, UCLA. He's been with the Patriots. He's all been all over the place, but he's a good recruiter, and he's hired well. I just look at this group and this schedule. They go to, to Mississippi State. Uh, they got to go uh, to Washington State at USC, UW at home, at Stanford. Like, that's a toss-up game that you would rather have at home, I think. Um, Oregon State comes in town. You get UCLA and Oregon State at home. That's nice. You get to Colorado, Utah at home, and you close at Arizona State. This looks like a 5-7 and seven type deal, but I will say part of what makes Arizona a lot more fun now is their defense really sucks, and their offense is good. Like Jaden Delora and company, they're fun. They're going to score a lot of points. The offense is going to be good once again, but it's kind of, there's some strong Rich Rod vibes here um, with the current iteration of the Arizona Wildcats. Very different style with Rich Rod and Chet Fish, but what they're doing is, uh, it's kind of similar where it's just, they're going to have a lot of explosion on offense. They're going to score a lot of points. They're going to be a league pass team to watch. But that defense was horrific last year, and I don't see the pieces. Like, Justin Flo can be on this defense, but I just I don't think they have the dudes on the defensive line in the back end that they're going to be able to stop anybody again. So I think Arizona's defense sucks again, and it prevents them from going bowling. So 5-7 and seven feels about right for Arizona, but still step in the right direction. Yeah, I mean, last year you had five teams win 10-plus games in this conference. Like, if mm. that's going to happen... It's gonna be a lot of teams losing a lot of games. Uh, it's just kind of the uh, the other side to it. Yeah, Jacob Singer going to USC, um, their best receiver last year, also not great. But you still got uh, Jacob Cowing and McMillan uh, Territoria. McMillan, they averaged six. Um, ah, man, they the yeah the defense average allowed thirty six and a half points per game last year. It's hard to win a lot of football games um, when you give up that many. Um, Arizona. I love seeing. I love seeing games like Arizona, Mississippi State too. Like they're like Mm -hmm. the conference equivalents, you know, like the the bottom tier of the SEC playing the bottom tier of the the Pac-12. It's like makes sense. Yeah. Why doesn't Vanderbilt play Stanford every year? They they should. They is Vanderbilt Duke? Is are they playing that? I think that is this year, right? Uh, SEC preview in uh, two weeks. I'd have to I'd have to look at the schedule. I think I think Vanderbilt does play Duke, but uh. Well, they play yeah, Wake, which is see, basically kind of what game. they're doing. Yeah, we need to see more games like that. It's yeah. like like an annoying guy you went to high school with, like an annoying girl you went to high school with, and they get together. You're just like, oh, well, you guys fit. You guys fit together. Oh man. <laughs> I, oh man. Uh, that was. I felt like I'm that not was specific. Throwing any, not, not throwing any uh, shade anyone specifically. We'll see who reaches out to you uh, after <laughs> listening to this show, Matt Green. Um, Arizona State. Five. There's somebody for everybody, you know. That's not true. There's all kinds of people that never find somebody. I'm lucky enough to find somebody. But there's somebody. somebody out there. You're not looking hard enough. I, that, I like the positivity. Matt there Green, um, Arizona State, well, uh, five and a half here. What uh, what jumps out to you about year one for Kenny Dillingham and his bunch? 
Yeah, I just think Arizona State, I think Dillingham is uh, just, you know, inherited a, pre- a program that's just, you know, a cluster, you know what. Like, I just think Arizona State, this is a this is a, a big rebuild job, in my opinion. Like, it's not, you know, they've got some history of being a solid program, but I just, I don't see much coming from year one uh, of Dillingham. Like, I don't have the schedule right in front of me. I was trying to pull it up, but uh, I don't. I don't I just don't think see much of Arizona State this year. Is Emory Jones still starting? No. So Drew Pine came in from Notre Dame uh, as the presumed starter. They've got another guy, Trenton Borgo, who's been there for a little bit. And then you have true freshman, our old friend, Jaden Rashada, uh, the former oh, Florida right. commit. So maybe he gets some action. But they had 30 transfers uh, come in because new staff. And it's also Kenny Dillingham's 30 three years old there's not a lot of track record here right of these super super young coaches um immediate success especially on the power five level like he's just diving in man he didn't start at smu or tcu or whatever man he is going from oc i mean he was i first remember him popping up with uh gus bus at auburn then he was oc with i think willie taggart at florida state for a cup of coffee and then found his way to Oregon with uh, Dan Lanning and now head coach at uh, Arizona State. And good offensive mind. Like, I think it's a good uh, long-term hire. But, like, 30 new transfers. I think the quarterback position is very much unsettled. Not a lot of pop to this offense. And the defense was pretty pretty rough last year uh, along with Arizona. So, when you look at what they're bringing back, yeah, they gave up 31 points a game. So, slightly better than Arizona. But not a lot of defense being played. Uh, in the state of Arizona between either the Sun Devils and the uh, Wildcats. But I just, I think this is going to be a tough road to hoe. I would not be surprised if they're in that 11 to 12 range um, in the Pac-12. I mean, they get Oklahoma State in the non-conference at home. Fresno State, I think they lose both of those games. Um, I think both those teams are better this year. USC early at Cal, a coin flip game you need at home. Colorado at home is a big one for them at UW, at Utah, at UCLA. I mean, I just Oregon, don't see the wins. I just don't see it. I think this looks like a two and 10 team to me. And they went three and nine last year. So I think they got worse from what they were a year ago. I'm not, it's too early to tell what's going to happen with Kenny Dillingham and the Sun Devils. I just think this year in particular, it's going to be a rough, rough year. Like this team and one other team that we'll talk about in a second, um, I think are in for a rough, rough 2023 in the big like, 12. This is going to be one of the Pac-12. games Colorado expects to win. Yeah. Like, like they're going to think that, like we can, we can get that one. Yeah. Uh, I think a lot of teams are going to look at that uh, <laughs> Arizona standard schedule this year and be like, we can get them. Um, so I'm going under there. I think you are as well. Cal five and a half kind of high here for the Cal golden bears to me. Uh, Justin Wilcox, this program's kind of sputtered uh, in recent years um here in the pac 12 uh good defensive mind he's gone through like a gazillion uh offensive coordinators bo baldwin uh bill musgrave just they've had so many guys come in and out of this uh california situation but it's just such a tough place to win like i just feel bad for justin wilcox because he's been loyal he stayed around for a long time i think it's one of the sneaky toughest jobs in college football, obviously, they've had some success over the years. There's blips with Job and Bess and Marshawn Lynch and Aaron Rodgers and company. But, like, by and large, this is a really, really tough job. And they don't have the support um, that so many other Power 5 schools do. It's a, it's in Berkeley. It's a great school. And, I mean, you look at the schedule. You get Auburn. 
<laughs> at home. You get at North Texas. Um, I mean, Idaho, which is an FCS school now, you should win that one. But like at UW, at Utah, Oregon State at home, at Oregon, I mean, at UCLA. And then you get the, the big game against Stanford on the road too. I just... I'm going under. I think this looks rough um, for Calligan. I think this looks like a four and eight team. Um, the defense wasn't even good last year, and I don't know. I just this feels like they're going to take a step back. We'll see if Sam Jackson the fifth is going to start at quarterback. The TCU kid, maybe that's good. They do have the one positive. I mean, the one known positive is that Jaden Ott is a dude at running back, and Cal having dudes at running back is cool. So at least if they're not getting the wins and take a step back this year, he will be really good and maybe uh, a lot of fun on Sundays. But if you have not checked out um, Mr. Ott on a late-night game uh, on the Pac-12, uh, check him out this fall because even if the wins aren't there, I think he'll be he'll be pretty pretty fun to watch. Yeah, I think that's a good call. Yeah, I, I think you threw out the idea of like what coach in the in the Pac-12 like potentially be on the hot seat. And like I was really not seeing any. I think Justin Wilcox is probably like the only one I could even really see in this conference getting fired at the end of the year just because, you know, I'm not sure we're supposed to do with, with like you said, with everything Cal's got going on. But they're the only only program with a coach that's been around for a while that that hasn't really done much. I mean, 30, 36 at Cal in six years, I think it's just good. Like he was the Wisconsin DC before he came over here um, at USD for a little bit. He was an Oregon defensive back. And I remember he was rooming for the Oregon job a couple different times, um, learned under Mike Bellotti, but I think he's, yeah, he's born in Eugene. So a lot of strong, but like Northern Cali, like he's in an area, but I think he should have unlimited job security. Like it's just a really, really tough job and he's doing the best he can. Like, it's just a tough job, man. Uh, I just I don't know what you. else to say. Not, not calling for his job by any means. No. Colorado, three and a half, Macarena. This is sneaky difficult when you look at the schedule and what we were talking about with the unpredictability of Dion's bunch. Where are you leaning? Because I want to get your perspective on this first, and I want to see if you go over or under, because I, I'm not going to change my answer, but I want to hear your rationale first. Well, I think first you have to you have to look at the schedule, and obviously at a conference at TCU is is not easy. Then Nebraska at a conference is not easy. Colorado State should be a win, but not necessarily just a a, a pushover. So they don't necessarily have any cupcakes at a conference. So that's not a great start. And then obviously going at Oregon, USC right after that. Oregon State at Utah at UCLA like there's going to be some challenges in there for sure but three and a half is just such a small number and I think I think with what Dion has done what he's shown as a and it's way different coach at the power five level than it is you know FCS level but I think with what he's shown he's done so far the improvement he, he, they did at Jackson State um, I think I like him to get more than more than three wins this year. So I think four, four, maybe even five wins. It seems doable for Colorado. So I'm, I'm going to go over. That's fair. Um, Kent state, Sean Lewis, like he put up like in their wins, he averaged 39 a game um, for the golden flashes um, this past year. And versus the power five, 15 points a game versus uh, non power five, 29, the offense was a lot better. 
um, when they played unranked in weaker competition. But like they're going to play with tempo. They're going to play with speed, which will help um, this whole transition period. But I, I think Shador is going to be pretty solid. Like I think Shador and this group is going to be pretty solid. I think this is going to be a well-coached group. I think you brought in a lot of, it's not like young transfers, like McCaskill is another guy who came in late uh, here. Cavastier Smoke. You have dudes who are coming in who've played a lot of college football in their time. And to only get three games better to hit the over there with, if Shador Sanders is good right away and this offense is fast tempo, makes up for some of the weaknesses on the offensive line, everything else. And even if the defense is bad, the offense keeps them in a lot of games and then the biggest wild card is like Travis Hunter would have been at Florida State and we could be looking at him if he had picked Florida State over Jackson State. Are we looking at him as like, oh my God, like we are seeing Dion 2.0. We're seeing a Heisman front runner or a Heisman guy right now if he had been on the power five level last year as a true freshman or would we be walking into a situation where it's like punt returning kick returning on defense wide receiver like he's unguardable he's this that and the other he's a swiss army knife he's like just a, a dude and he is just an unstoppable guy if he is do that in a pac 12 where there's a lot of bad defenses this year in this conference if travis hunter is a top five college football player right away like power five college football player that's huge that can be enough to get them into the over like is he unguardable as a wide receiver is he just um a sensation right out of the gate for the buffs and i am very very curious he might be the x factor for me it's shador and him but like that i think is the biggest reason as to why i i'm gonna go over this feels like a four and eight five and seven team to me i think they hit the over a little bit and i think travis hunter is actually pretty elite right out of the gate here yeah, I think that's the ultimate like X factor. If Travis Hunter comes in, he's just he's that guy. Like I think that's really because I mean I I didn't watch all of Jackson State's games last year. I watched the Celebration Bowl. I watched some of it, and it's mm -hmm. like he wasn't like incredible, like just popping off the screen. So I feel like he, you know, I feel like he's gonna kind of be a true freshman again because now he's playing just you're essentially making another jump. I'm not, not saying FCS is high school, but you're essentially making another huge jump in level of competition. So, I mean, maybe he just comes in and he's ready from day one and he's, and he's the best player in the pack 12. Like that's definitely possible. Um, but, and yeah, like you said, with Shador Sanders and some of those other, some of the other experience they have, they're probably not a good team, but, but three, three and a half is a, is a real low number. Is that your, that, that's your first over? that is my first ever. okay so we're we're in agreement so far a lot of agreeing going on too much agreeing going on these days i know i know we won't agree come college football pick them that we do know that we do know um oregon nine and a half matt green do you want to go first or uh, i can lead this one too go ahead this is an over i think oregon's gonna be really good i think dan lanning in this group um overachieved in year one i think bo nix is looking at a heisman uh finalist kind of campaign here he made the leap with these ducks last year they're going to be able to run the ball well they have a lot of dudes out wide the offensive line's good their defense is going to be better than it was a year ago good schedule i think this is a pac-12 champion right here and i think if i had to pick a favorite to come out of the pac-12 and make the college football playoff 
I think the Oregon Ducks are my pick right now. If there is going to be who fills the Big 12 gap, because if Texas doesn't make it through and Texas doesn't take advantage of this year, because I think you're getting two, like basically the way I look at it for this last year and what I would have looked at it with the Contraball playoff if we kept it four going forward was two SEC teams, a Big 10 team, or two Big 10 teams. Like that's, you're getting three of those two conferences and then one outlier. And I think. Texas is that outlier this year if they just take care of their business. But if they don't, I think Oregon is just right there to to find their way in with their schedule and what they've got cooking. They get to avoid Georgia um, this year to start off the year, which is going to be good for the Ducks. But I am very, very high. They had a top 10 offense last year. I think it's going to be top 10 again this year. I think the defense is going to be a lot better too. So give me uh, the Ducks to hit that over and to be potentially the best uh best team in uh in the pac 12 like 38 and uh, almost 40 points a game last year um the offensive line is just a lot of new dudes like you don't have noah sewell and christian gonzalez but seven starters back on defense i think the defense is gonna be really good and i think uh they're not gonna miss a beat offensively and is gonna be awesome so give me the ducks to hit that over our disagreeing is not going to start here, sir. I'm uh, mm. I'm definitely all in on the Oregon Ducks in the Pac-12 this year. I think they have a lot going for them. On top of, obviously, I'm a broken record here, year two of Dan Lanning. Um, and I, can we can we talk about the Kirby Smart similarities with, with Dan Lanning? Obviously, that's where he who he learned from. But Kirby also had those questionable uh, play questionable decisions early on in his tenure people question him being an x's and o's guy right the fake mm. punt versus alabama some super questionable decisions by dan laning in year one and they still managed to win 10 games and they were right there uh almost got into the, uh, into the pac-12 championship obviously we're not right there in terms of where they need to be to win a national championship got absolutely smoked by georgia but in terms of winning the pac-12 I like Oregon. I think Oregon is the is my current favorite to win the Pac-12 this year. There so, you yeah, go. go. I like it. Well. Oregon State, eight and a half, Matt Green. What say you? I'm feeling a, a DJ Uyunglele uh, renaissance. I feel like the, the same thing that – maybe not the same thing Bo Nix did last year, but I feel like he just needed a new – a new surroundings, right? Get, get back out to the West Coast. DJU, obviously a West Coast guy. Maybe he'll feel more at home uh, out on the West Coast. But I just, I think the we've seen the talent there. He, he, he got better. Like that's the one thing I feel like he did improve from twenty twenty drastically from twenty twenty one to twenty twenty two. He just still wasn't that guy to get Clemson over the hump, and they had a a big time recruit that they could put in behind him to, to challenge him as well. So I just think, you know, new, new surroundings. I think DJU has a, has a much better year. And you, like you talked about their running game is obviously going to be Oregon state's identity. Uh, but I just, I really like Oregon state this year. I'm going to go over on the ducks at eight and a half. I agree, Matt green. Um, <laughs> are we going to agree on the Oregon state beavers? Yes, we are. Because I think the Oregon State Beavers, this schedule, eight and a half, is almost a lock for me. You get UC Davis at home at San Jose State. Like, that's fine. San Diego State at home. And then you go to Pullman. That could get weird. But I think Washington State, who we'll get to, they lost a lot. I'm just, I, I, 
I'm pretty dubious about the coup going in this year. They got to win. Then you get Utah at home. September 29th. That's gonna be a big, big game. I can't wait for that one. Um, like, let's let's talk about this. Like the games you just named. Like the San Diego State's a quality, you know, at a conference, not like a juggernaut, not a cupcake. But at Washington State, whatever. That 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 team should start four and zero. Yeah. That Utah and, game you just pointed out. That's a weekday home. That's a weekday road game for the Utes on a Friday yeah. night. That I think Oregon State could start five and zero. And then you're at Cal. They'll be favored in that one. UCLA at home, they get that at home. At Arizona, like, okay. Like, Arizona might be really bad. Like, they will be favored in that game. At Colorado, I mean, they will be favored in that game. Stanford at home, they'll those, be favored in that game. Those could be the three worst teams in the Pac-12 right there, Arizona, Colorado, and Stanford. And you get them three weeks in a row. And then you go, you get Washington at home late in the year. And then at Oregon in the Civil War to wrap things up. But, like, you beat Oregon last year. Like, I think this looks like a ten and two best case scenario eleven and one schedule, but like this is a really did you really just say eleven and one? Wow, I feel like you look at that. I ten and zero like doesn't seem like outrageous. Like a ten and zero start for this team. That that's shocking. I um uh, I didn't expect both of us to be this high on the Oregon State Beavers. The Beavers are gonna be good, sir. The Beavers are coming. Like I am a they're going to be good. I am. I'm here for it. And I hope DJU thrives in Corvallis this year. I, I like it. I've, I've never seen a schedule just more kind of like perfectly mapped out for a team. Like Utah is, is a very difficult game, but to get it on a Friday night, there's just something weird that happens on Friday nights. And then UCLA is one of the best teams, you know, one of the better teams in the, in the pack 12, but to get them at home, like, this thing really does like, like work out to for a potential nine and 10 and type of start. Matt Green, um, also there's a way. Like, what would this? I mean, there's a scenario where there's an immediate rematch in the Pac-12 title game if Oregon runs the and Oregon State run the gauntlet here and they get matched up in the final week of the season. They might have to do a redo. It might be an Auburn Georgia situation. Uh, for the Ducks and Beavs in the Pac-12 title game. Oh man, that'd be real a real bummer. Like that's the one thing that I think from losing the divisions is getting an Oregon Oregon State back to back because that's gonna be an insane. Like if if those mm. two teams are eleven and or ten and one going mm. into the Civil War, I don't think they call it that anymore, but whatever. Yeah. Um, like both in the top five, top eight or so of the rankings, like it'd be insane. And then whatever happens, they play again next week. Like, ah, that's not what we want. But with with um with the Pac-12, like I think we're gonna have a lot of like we saw last year we had five teams win double digit games last year. So I think we're going to have a lot of teams. Um, so the chances of a rematch aren't necessarily just a foregone conclusion, but, but potentially like Ohio state, Michigan, you know, in, in future years, getting that back to back would just be such a buzzkill. I agree. Uh, Matt green Stanford three and a half. Um, I am going under, but why are you going under? Are we disagreeing here for the first time? Um, I'm, Tell me Stanford Stanford schedule real quick. Uh, let me pull it back up for you. Got you got it up. Uh, let me see. Uh, twenty football schedule. Okay, I got it. Uh, let's see. I've seen who they play at a conference. At like Hawaii, can they, can they get four wins? Like mm. at a conference at Hawaii, Sacramento State, and um, who's the other one? What am I missing? 
Notre Dame. Uh, the other, it's like that's that's where you were probably going to get it. Uh, so it's like racking up three cupcakes at a conference. Um, no, that with how good the Pac-12 is this year, um, you don't play. You don't play all. Oh, the, do they play all the uh, preseason ranked teams? I think they do. USC, Oregon, uh, Washington, Oregon State, and then add Notre Dame on top of that. Like, no, I, I'm 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 a good. I'm I'm with you here. I'll, well, I'll go under on the Cardinal as well. They gave up 224 yards a game on the ground. Um, 36 p- points per game. Just a humong- like just a humongous amount of turnover for Troy Taylor, who I actually think might be pretty good for them over the next couple of years. Um, just kind of that. He's not Paul Johnson, but they're going to get back into we're playing some just high-octane, fun offense that's built around two and three stars. Maybe uh, Dave Clawson's a closer comp, but I think Troy Taylor might actually be a fun. Like He's been really successful at the FCS level and uh, is a more... They're getting away from that pro-style stuff uh, that they've done with Harbaugh and Shaw and company. They're, they're going to be fun. I just think it's going to be a lot of dudes that they just... Uh, they're going to be... They're going to be a ways uh, away. They're only returning six starters on both sides of the ball. And this schedule is just, like you said, you get Notre Dame in the non-conference. Even at Hawaii is not a gimme. At USC, Oregon. Like, I just looked through the schedule, and I'm like, I don't see many wins. Cal at home, maybe. But, goodness gracious, I, I do not like this schedule for Stanford at all. This looks like 2-10. and 10. I think they go 2-10, and 10, maybe 1-11. I think they're the worst team in the Pac-12 this year. Yeah, I just yeah, I think you're right. I think they are going to be at the bottom. Uh, UCLA. This one was sneaky tough. Eight and a half for Chip Kelly's Bruins. What say you? Yeah, I agree. I think this one was a tough one. Um, obviously, you got Dorian Thompson. Robinson is gone, and Zach Charbonnet is gone. Chip Kelly. We do trust you know whoever he plugs into his offenses to get the most out of them. Is this Dante Moore? Is he going to be the starter? Is that what we think? I mean, maybe Dante Moore, that 17th Garbers who is in the rotation. I feel like there's so many Chase Garbers, Ethan Garbers. Like, I just, it's hard to keep them all straight. One went to Cal, one went to UCLA, one's in the NFL now. A lot of Garbers uh, over here in the West Coast and playing in the Pac 12. But um, could be him, could also be um, Colin Schley transfer in. Uh, potentially, I, I think he's the least likely based on what I've read. Either it's Moore or garbers but you also have carson Steele, the running back from ball state uh coming in here um he's going to be a household name uh with this chip kelly offense and he should be a lot of fun but not really the same as zach charbonnet here um for the bruins but i don't know i think they're so hard to forecast because i think they had a big big year this past year and they broke through in a lot of ways dtr was awesome and i think he's just been there for so long that I mean, when you win nine games last year with the kind of season that they had, which was the biggest uh, program win total since 2014, um, I don't know. I just, if you go full true freshman quarterback, he's going to go through growing pains. Like, that's just going to happen. And I think the going from Charbonnet to Carson Steele is a step back. I, I don't know. The defense was not very good last year, 29 points a game. Ah. <sighs> I don't know. New DC, D'Anthony, uh, D'Anton Lynn. Maybe that helps. <coughs> Excuse me. My gut just tells me this is going to hit the under and that they're going to be eight and four at the absolute best. I'm going to go seven and five and UCLA takes a slight step back this year. I think they're going to bounce back 
following year with Dante Moore a year older. But I think this is just kind of a gap year for the Bruins. There's a lot of talent at the top of this conference with Oregon State, Utah, USC, and company. And I just don't, in Oregon, Washington, I don't think they fit this year. I think they take a step back slightly. Give me the under. Yeah, we agree again, sir. Oh um, no! I think I'm afraid. I, uh, I I I agree, especially what you said. It felt like it was kind of a year things came together for UCLA. Like they were, I, I'm not not saying they like climaxed last year or anything. Like that's the best they can do. But it it felt like it felt like they they're not going to be as good this year as they were a year ago. So yeah, I'm I'm I'm, I'm with you. I'm I'm having a the, the the Bruins take a step back as well. Eight and four, though, probably. USC, 10 and a half, Matt Green. This is, I'm going to call it, this is where we disagree. I am going under on the Trojans winning 10 and a half games this year. Am I right that this is our first disagreement? Um, You would be incorrect, sir. Oh, no. I just don't, uh, you, you can't, you got to play defense. And with U, USC, it's not a super difficult schedule. Like it, it in terms of like what some of these teams in the Pac-12 are facing, they do add Notre Dame on like like Stanford does and they have to go at Notre Dame. But I like Oregon a lot this year. I like Washington, I like Utah. Like Utah has had their number. Like that how many times in a row now has Utah beat them? Like they do get that one at USC, but I just I think 10 and I think this team has 10 and 2 written all over it cuz I just think when you're that flawed on one side of the football, like I just, and and this conference is really good this year. I think some of those big 12s that Lincoln Riley was able to get through with Oklahoma, like where there was one other good team where they, they, there one year they got to the college football playoff by Baylor being their only win ranked win. And they just beat Baylor twice. It was like, we had no idea how good Oklahoma that was that year, but we know they were better than Baylor. So I think the PAC 12 is stronger this year than a lot of those Big 12s were, honestly, under Lincoln Riley. And I, I don't think being as flawed as they are on the defensive side of the ball, I think they're just bound to maybe not even lose to um, one of the the other big big names out there, but maybe just not show up a week against Arizona or against Arizona State or something or Colorado. Like, I just think um, when, you, when you don't have a defense, like you can get in a shootout with, with anybody. That's fair. Like, he's very loyal to Alex Grinch. It kind of reminds me a little bit of the Todd Grantham stuff. Like, Dan Mullen sticking with Grantham for <laughs> a little bit too long at Florida. Did that end up costing him at Florida, uh, his loyalty there? I mean, you saw it at Georgia. Mark Richt uh, and his loyalty is certain guys that it was just like, dude, you got to you gotta cut bait. Sometimes it's hard, but loyalty can be can be tough and Heupel hasn't had to deal with that yet, but he is a very loyal guy and he's promoting from within from his staff. Like that's very important to him to keep his, his guys uh, in house. And I wonder just you, if you, the defense is really, really bad once again, which I think it's going to be bad again. You're like, you just burn two years of elite best quarterback in the country play because you just refuse to address this defense. Like it cannot continue to be the thing where you're just like, we're the thing about USC, that defense was bad last year, but they were also incredibly lucky. Like their turnover margin. We talked about in the program, like their turnover margin was stupid 
in the Pac-12. Like they were elite. They were in a league of their own in forcing turnovers and not giving up any turnovers last year. That was their bread and butter. I don't see that tra- like that carrying over this year. I don't see them being that exceptionally lucky and forcing that many turnovers and the offense not turning the ball over to that extent last year. Like their turnover to sustain for sure. Yeah, I just they take a step back. They don't have the dudes. I'm not a believer in this defense. And you could sell me on, look, Caleb Williams was pretty amazing, and he'll be good again. But this schedule for USC down the stretch, whoever did USC's schedule did them a gigantic disservice because they are looking at like, though. Well, here's what I would say. This schedule is lining up where it's like, oh, the beginning of this season, it's going to be like USC is going to be put in the first college football playoff rankings. Everyone's going to talk about this start for USC. Caleb Williams going back-to-back Heisman. He's going to put up big-time numbers. This schedule just puts the overrated USC where everyone's going to be like, see, they're coming. They're bouncing right back. To have, folks, this is the schedule for the last... Let's just go the last six. I'm weeks. not sure how I feel right now. We're, you're like you're you're just taking the words out of my mouth right now. I'm agreeing way too much with Chase Thomas right now. Mm, I'll throw some Tennessee stuff. Because I'm I'm like they're gonna start six and zero. Oh. Yes. Caleb Williams is gonna have 23 touchdown passes in the first six weeks. It's mm-hmm. like clear back to back Heisman. Like it's all gonna happen. They're gonna be ranked number three. Yeah. Maybe number one with how much they're scoring. Like then you get at Notre Dame. Utah at home, at Cal, Washington at home, at Oregon, UCLA at home. I mean, they're not running through that gauntlet. Like, they're so backloaded with just important big games that I can't hit the over. I think this is a recipe for disaster where, like, they're going to be so, they're going to be feeling themselves, feeling good. Like, we're cooking, we're 6 and 0, we're making it back to the playoff, and then just a gauntlet of a following six week stretch. And I just see two losses there. I think they go 10 and two and it's a disappointing, forgettable year. Um, Caleb Williams is awesome, but a waste because you didn't address the DC and didn't address the defense this off season when you could have. There is another way to look at it though. Like having such a like soft first six games of the season, like might allow you to kind of come together. They got, they're bringing a lot of transfers. Like maybe this defense comes together. And by the time you're playing the best, uh, competition on your schedule, your, your team's executing at the highest level. So I, there is like some that could, some advantage to potentially, you know, having all the good teams on the second half of the schedule. Potentially. I just don't think it's going to go that way. But for yeah, USC. it's five I, out of six games. It's definitely, uh, that's brutal. Utah, eight and a half. We talked about them a lot here. I think we're both going over, right? Yeah, I think so. Eight and a half. I think that's um, that's easy. I don't know where I stand as far as uh, this this week one matchup with the Gators. Like, what's the current line for that? Oh, I, I think it was uh, four and a half or five and a half. I think no, no. I think it was like seven and a half. I think when I it's saw it last. Utah week. eight right now. Eight. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, and then at Baylor uh, in week two, like that's not a um. Not a super easy at a conference uh, for for Utah. I guess probably the one of the more difficult uh, at a conferences in uh, in this entire conference. Florida's uh, one yeah. and seven straight up in their last eight games in the road. Florida's one and seven in their last eight road games. Wow, I did not know that. And there, this is the furthest they've traveled for a road game, without a doubt. I know they always talked about Florida 
never leaving the southeast for like the longest time i mean that's rough yeah one and seven straight up against the spread uh last eight games so and they, um, and they pretty much don't miss anybody. Like they got UCLA at Oregon mm-hmm. State, at USC, Oregon at home, at Washington. Like they're 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 playing everybody. But uh, a lot I, too has been made about like Dalton and K being out. I'm like they're fine. Like they just they grow in trees in in Utah for whatever reason. <laughs> Cam Rising's back. I mean they've won back to back Pac-12 titles. I just Jaquin and Jackson I think is going to be awesome as the number one running back. Like. Brant Kuth, uh, Keith Kuth. I don't know how to pronounce his name. We're going to go Keith because I'm a big Righteous Gemstones guy. And Clark Phillips is out. Like that, it's, it's a loss, but like they're going to be near the top of the, they're going to be near the top in the defensive side of the ball. Um, Baylor maybe can be frisky. Florida maybe frisky, but like this just looks like a 10 and 2 schedule again for Utah. And then they might find their way back to the Pac 12 title game and, win it again and just keep doing the Kyle Winningham thing. But I just, I'm not worried about Utah death taxes, Utah, just hitting the over. Yeah. Give me the Utes last two Cam rising went from the most overrated player in the S in the pack 12 to the most underrated player coming into this year. I still think he's kind of overrated. Like he's you not, he's don't, fine. don't sleep on him. Don't sleep right. on him. I'm going to sleep on him. Um, Washington, the Washington Huskies, a lot of Pac-12 title love, some college football playoff dark horse love, and Vegas likes them too. Second highest odds in the Pac-12 coming into this year, uh, tied with Oregon, nine and a half over under Matt Green. Where are you at? Because I don't believe Oregon State, Oregon, and um, who else do we have hitting? Man, are we doing this? Oregon, Oregon State, and Utah. Yeah. Is that what you were going to say? All yeah, four of them cannot win 10 games. I'm I mean, going under on the Huskies. Year. They did it last year, but they, I guess some of those are, are from the bowl game that got, yeah. got them to 10. Um, I think I'm leaning under. You look at, I, I think it was NFL draft buzz I was looking at, um, of like the, the top five or six Pac-12 players in, in their rankings for next year's draft. I think of the top five players, four of them played for Washington. Mm. So you got Michael Penix, obviously, is getting some first round love there. Um, the receiver, Rome, I forget his last. I don't. I forget how to pronounce his last name. Um, oh, Adunze. Yeah, and then the two edge rushers are both getting some some first round potential hype. So I think Washington is a super talented team. They got at Michigan State at a conference who. I mean, that, that, they might not. Even, they might be a pretty bad team uh, this year. So, like, they they should run the table at a conference. But I'm I'm kind of with you. I don't I don't think all of those teams can hit the over on on um on, on their on their schedules this year. So I think Washington's gonna be good. I think Michael Penix is good. I think nine and three is probably what this team does. So um yeah, give me because also also USC we we went under on USC, but they mm-hmm. they could still win ten games as well. So. I just don't know if there's room for all of these teams uh, at the top, but I think Washington's going to beat some people, uh, but they're they're going to lose uh, a couple games as well. So yeah, give me give me the under, and we're going to agree on like every single Pac-12 team. They're just the secondary stinks, and I think I mean it, it's going to be nice for them to get Oregon and Utah at home. Um, that's big. Like, and we should say like they averaged forty a game last year, and I think the offense is going to be loaded again. Kalen DeBoer is one of the best offensive play callers and offensive minds in the sport. I just 
I'm not sure about this defense. And also, here's the other thing. Michael Penix Jr. was healthy all of last year. He's had health concerns. Like, what if he gets banged up? That is very much in play. Um, do they get 12 healthy games of Michael Penix Jr. again? Because you can see how it gets unraveled very quickly if that's uh, not the case here. But I just, it's weird saying out loud, but I trust Oregon State more than Washington as a complete team going into uh, the 2023 college football season. Also, just like their schedule a little bit more. Uh, for the the schedule goes a long way for sure yeah. in terms of Oregon State. But um, yeah, I, I do like Penix a lot. So it's tough to pick against them. But mm-hmm. yeah, I think um, someone's got to lose some games in this conference. For sure. Speaking of losing some games in this conference, the Washington State Cougars, Matt Garancy, wrap up here uh, this uh, Tuesday night, Wednesday morning edition here on the Chase Thomas Podcast. Matt Green, the Washington State Cougars, the forgotten team, Jake Dickert's group. Not uh, one of the four corner schools. Not one of the four corner schools. Um, five and a half for you. I'm going under. What say you? Um, yeah, I, I like I think we said at the top, like there's going to be six good teams. There's going to be six bad teams. And I think Washington State is one of the bad teams. Granted, last year they were the one that was able – that didn't fit either, that weren't the good team or the bad team. They were able to get to a bowl game. But, um, yeah, I'm with you. Like, Wisconsin at a conference, like, I don't like that. And getting Oregon State at home, at UCLA, at Oregon, at, Oregon, at Washington. I just think there's a lot of losses on, uh, on Washington State's schedule. So, yeah. Give me the under as well to complete the sweep. And um, I apologize to our listeners for us just sitting here agreeing with on, on all the same picks. It's terrible radio. Look, but we're also going to be honest. We're not just going to go the hot take route to disagree just to create uh, create some buzz here. That's not what we're about. We're about uh, transparency and honesty. And unfortunately uh we agree here and i mean cameron ward's gonna be a lot of fun Three thousand yards last year 23 touchdowns he's back he'll be fun new offensive and defensive coordinators here it always sucks when you see like obviously with singer going from arizona to usc and then you see washington state's starting left tackle Jarrett kingston's gonna be the starting left tackle at usc like just i, I hate the in like it's one thing to do the transfer rule i hate in in conference transfers like that that just sucks like I, you read that and it, it actually makes me mad that Washington State loses their offensive tackle to USC. Like, that's just, I hate reading that. Like, I just, it actually annoys me. Um, but they had the third best scoring defense in the conference last year. They just lost their five. Their, I think this offense. Yeah, takes something feels different about Washington State having, oh, they got a good player. USC is like, oh, yeah, we'll take him. Yes. As opposed to like Latavius Brinney, like, doesn't get as play as much at Georgia. So it goes to Arkansas to get yeah. more ticks. It's like, it's the same thing, but it feels a lot different. It does. Um, but I got the under. This is a tough uh, schedule once again for the Cougs. And I just, they lose so much on offense. And Cam Ward can only do so much. I think the defense is still just pesky. And I think Washington State's going to be in a lot of games they shouldn't. Ben Arbuckle will see um, what he does with this group. But I mean, Cougs, they just have a ceiling and they I don't they're just kind of coasting. Dickert's fine. I think he's a good DC, but they're just there's not a lot of buzz. There's not a lot of excitement. Mike Leach got a lot out of this program. I don't I don't know. It's just not the guy for me. Like Wisconsin at home should be super interesting early. Um and how that game goes because they did win at Wisconsin last year. People forget that one. Um we'll see how Pullman goes. Um, against uh, the Cougs, or against the Beavs, rather, at USCLA, at Oregon. 
I mean, at UW, it's just, this looks like a five and seven group to me this year for the Kooks. Well, that'll do it, Matt Green. We, oh, uh, uh, last we thing, uh, your champion. Who's, oh. who's in the conference championship? Are we going to agree on this too? I'm going to go Oregon, Utah, and Oregon wins the Pac-12. Okay, this is the one thing we'll disagree on. I got Oregon winning the Pac-12 and beating USC. Mm. I would be floored if USC makes the Pac-12 title game. Floored? You'll yeah. be floored if USC wins like 10 games. That'll shock you. Yeah. What are they, preseason like six? The schedule <laughs> and everything about this season just reeks nine and three to me. Eight and four, nine and three, like a step back here. No, I could see it. I think the, like we've said multiple times, the Pac-12 is going to have a lot of really good They teams love cannibalizing the themselves. Yeah, and I could definitely see that happening. I think... Uh, I see them at worst ten and two uh, go in, going into the Pac-12 championship. Okay, but um, yeah, I guess so far we both got Texas, Clemson, and Oregon uh, winning each of the conferences. We don't have the same teams in uh in in the conference championships, but we're agreeing so far on three of our three uh, conference champs. I think we're gonna disagree on the two big ones that are coming up the next two weeks here. I don't think we're gonna agree on the the SEC and the Big Ten all that much. I think we're going to have some some fun disagreements here, sir. Oh, yeah, man. I'm ready well, for it. Go. I'm ready for whatever Tennessee stuff you're going to talk. I mean, I've been... I said 9-4 and four, or 9-3 and three this year. Um, <laughs> That's you, true. I'm, I'm a reasonable Tennessee fan. I predicted them exactly right last year, 10-2. and two. I even predicted the games that they would lose and win uh, last year. That's so. fair. You were all over the uh, Tennessee prediction. I don't think, um, I don't think you realized how heartbreaking it was actually going to be once it happened, but, uh, you were all over it. Hey, I got to pull some this program. Uh, I would say Matt green for that guy down there in Tequila, Georgia, Matt green for myself up here in Knoxville, Tennessee. I'm Chase Thomas and that will do it for this edition of full ride here on the Chase podcast. We'll be back next week. Yes, sir. Nicely done, nephew. Chase Thomas Podcast. Hell yeah.